Hello there, my name is Ethan, and welcome back to another episode of Crossroads Conversations. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. So this is going to be part one in a series of episodes that I'm calling Water to Wine, A Journey of Faith and Self-Discovery. So this is going to be part one, and one of the reasons for that is I thought about just recording all of this, but then it would end up being well over an hour, and I just am not sure that I want to drop all of that all at once, and plus, I mean, I just really don't know how long this is going to go, and so I figured if I just sort of stop myself at at intervals, I'll probably have a better chance at keeping an audience somewhat interested. So one of the reasons I've thought about doing this is I have, over the last nine months or so, gotten a ton of questions from people in my life and very well-meaning people, I would add, who have just asked, you know, Ethan, it seems like I got this really direct question last week. In fact, someone said, has something major happened in your life over the past you know, year or so? It seems like you've had this really major philosophy change. And so what's happened exactly? And I've had variations of that exact question so many times over the last few months. And I didn't want to rush into just kind of explaining things or kind of making a statement or anything like that. And so I told that person that asked me that, asked me that question that I'm not sure that I can go into as much detail right now, but in brief, and I sort of gave a summary. And then literally just this week, I was with some family uh, for 4th of July and it came up again, the same exact question, phrased a little differently. And again, well-meaning, people just curious, wanting to know a bit more. And I finally just said, you know what, I think it's time to record a podcast episode and just sort of give some context, hopefully for my history and also for where I am right now and maybe even some insight into where I want to be and, and where I'm heading. So this episode is just going to focus mostly on my background and mostly just give some some context for where I've been and where I am right now and again, where I hope to be. So let's get started with that. To begin with, I was raised in a very Pentecostal tradition and specifically I was raised as part of a offshoot of the United Pentecostal Church International, which is one of the largest oneness apostolic Pentecostal groups in the U.S. specifically. And it may very well be the largest in the world, although there's some serious questions about whether that's accurate. Um, To be clear, though, I was not part of the UPCI. I was part of a offshoot or sort of a non-denominational version of that. So my church that I was raised in, we never had membership within the UPCI, but we were pretty closely linked in doctrine, standards, those sorts of things. So just to clarify, although I will be kind of using the UPCI language because I think that's that's just going to make things a little bit clearer, but to be clear, I was not raised UPCI. I was raised just broadly apostolic Pentecostal. So if you don't know, the UPCI or the oneness uh, group or position is essentially, it arises out of this debate that's happening in the early 20th century, and a number of 
individuals come to the conclusion that the church world at large has gotten a lot of things wrong. And one of the things they've gotten really wrong is the definition of God, and specifically the definition of how God works, and sort of what traditionally most Christians at that time would have considered themselves Trinitarians, and and most still do. This group uh, decided that that was in some way untrue to the biblical story, and and also they had some some pretty serious issues with it just in terms of their own doctrine. So this group breaks off from the larger, that's still kind of growing, the larger Pentecostal movement that is just kind of coming into its own in the early 20th century. So this is about 1914 or so, right? And all of this is pretty well documented, and I'm certainly not going to give too much history here. If you're interested, there's a ton more history out there, but to be sure, one of the one of the clear things is this group was a part of the Assemblies of God, and they decide because the Assemblies of God is moving in an explicitly Trinitarian direction, they decide that for their own uh, doctrinal sanctity, they decide to depart that group and form their own. And so that group then splinters some more, um, but broadly, it becomes what we now know as the UPCI and becomes sort of the the bedrock for the larger oneness Pentecostal movement that's sort of springing out in the United States, specifically in the South and, and also in the West quite a bit as well. So with that little bit of history out of the way, what do apostolic Pentecostals or people in the UPCI believe? Or what did I believe growing up? So basically, the first thing that we believed is we denied the Trinity. And so instead of saying there was one God and three persons, we said, no, there is one person. His name is Jesus, and he is revealed as Father in creation, Son in redemption, and the Holy Spirit living in the church today. The second thing that we said is that it is very important. It's crucial, in fact, to your salvation that you were baptized, and not just baptized in any old way, but you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And If you are not baptized in the name of Jesus, your sins are not remitted or your sins are not removed, which would obviously make it pretty difficult for you to be saved. Uh, Thirdly, you have to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, as we would say. And this is also very important, and you have to speak in tongues. If you do not do this, there is no outward sign that you received this gift. And fourth and finally... Because you are a Christian and because God is holy, you are called to live a holy life and to do that inwardly and and outwardly as well. And so that's just what I grew up believing and pretty much what most apostolic Pentecostals believe today. Um, That's the official belief statement, and that's a part of the official belief statement of the UPCI right now and of other similar oneness groups like the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, for instance, that's, generally speaking, what most apostolic Pentecostals would kind of gather around and say, yeah, that's that's who we are, those four basic things. Denial of the Trinity, a belief in water baptism in the name of Jesus, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, and Christian living or holiness living, some groups or some churches might even say holiness standards, but regardless... That's pretty much what I grew up believing, and so 
hopefully that gives a little bit more context as I talk about some of this stuff today. With all that background out of the way, now let me turn my attention and just tell you a little bit about my upbringing in the oneness Pentecostal tradition. So the first thing that I think is really important for me to say is I still have a ton of family and a ton of friends who are a part of this tradition. So I definitely don't want to be cavalier with how I talk about some of this stuff, and I want to make sure that I am not misrepresenting anything. And certainly memory is a tricky thing, and there might be things that I remember or bring up that may very well differ in some way from how some people listening to this show that know some of these things might remember them. And so I want to be very, very clear when I say that this podcast today is not me attempting to change anyone's mind. And if you are listening to this and you were part of a oneness Pentecostal church, that is wonderful. If you are not, that is also wonderful. This is not an effort from me to try and right some wrongs or to convince some folks to come to my side of thinking now. This is an opportunity, I think, more for me to give some some background about my own life and talk a bit more broadly about my journey of faith and how I got from there to where I am right now. And so part of that is just going to naturally involve me talking about some of the ways that my thinking has shifted. If that makes you uncomfortable, you are more than free to not listen to this show, but I certainly hope that you will give it an opportunity as I will try to be respectful and not talk about these things carelessly or casually because this is important, and not just to me, but to a number of people. So I do want to make that really clear from just the beginning here. I was raised in the oneness Pentecostal tradition primarily because my parents were raised in that same tradition. So my grandfather and my grandmother, they converted to Pentecostalism in the 60s. And so they planted a church, multiple churches, and then eventually came to where I was born and raised in a little town called Ball, Louisiana, of all places, and they began pastoring a church after the former pastor had stepped down for some personal reasons, let's let's say that. And so my grandfather started pastoring this church, and quickly this church grew from just a couple dozen to multiple families, and my dad was obviously raised within that church, and Uh, He and my mother met, although not at that church, and regardless, I ended up being born and raised part of the church that my grandfather pastored, and so for the first about 10 years of my life, he was my primary pastor and one of my primary spiritual influences, just because every single week we were there, and, and multiple times a week, I should say. And listening and just breathing in the theology, this was just a part of my life. We would have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, and then we'd have a prayer meeting on Tuesdays, and then we'd have a midweek Bible study on Wednesday nights. So, And then sometimes, you know, the youth would get together on Thursdays, and then we would have a youth rally sometimes or many times on Friday nights. So 
much of the time my life was spent in and around the church, and specifically that church in Ball. So that was kind of my, that was my daily life for a long time. And I have have many, many, many memories growing up listening to my grandfather preach. Uh, Unfortunately, he he passed away a number of years ago now, and so I don't have as many vibrant memories as I wish I did. But I remember the first time I ever heard the gospel preached, and I can only imagine it was on a Sunday night, and I'm sure that we had visitors because uh, I remember my grandfather, he was red in the face, and I remember he was preaching out of either Matthew or Luke, and one of the reasons I want to say it was Luke is because I remember the details were very vivid of the like crucifixion, and I remember him standing behind the pulpit that he had built himself, actually, and I remember him just shaking the Bible at the congregation, and me and my parents and, and my, my older sister, we sat four, four rows back, you know, four rows from the front, and so pretty close. And I remember he was so intensely passionate about the subject. And I'm not sure if I ever understood it like I did that night. And I I remember having the sense of my own frailty. I mean, I couldn't have been (laughs) that old at all. I mean, I I don't know necessarily how old I was. I mean, I, I struggled to say seven or eight, but I'm not really sure. I just remember having this realization that there was this God that loved me so very much that he wanted to spend eternity with me, and that to do that, he had to die on a cross. And I remember the details of my grandfather talking about the crucifixion. I remember him specifically talking about just the length of the nails and how, you know, difficult that would have been uh, on Jesus' body. And one of the reasons I, I remember this detail is he was a carpenter, and he referenced these very long, like, carpenter nails that I remember we lived on their property, and there would be many days that I would be in his workshop and helping him with just various projects. And so I picked up many a carpenter nail, you know, around his shop and would bring it to him for whatever we were working on. And so that detail just stood out in my mind that, gosh, I definitely would not want a carpenter nail through my hand. And I, I remember that the vividness of that scene really being very distressing to me as a young man. But that's maybe my earliest, that's my earliest memory of hearing the gospel preached. And it just it just connected. It just made me feel it. And over time, I remember going up to the front, which is a classic Pentecostal evangelical thing. You go up to the front and you kneel at an altar and you hope and you pray that the Spirit descends and that you have this sort of dynamic encounter with God. And all, all my friends had done it. One of my best friends, he had already received the Holy Ghost. And this was just this is just what you did. You'd go up to the front and you'd raise your hands. And Now, admittedly, <laughs> I wasn't much of a hand raiser back then. I was much more shy, which is 
tough to imagine now because I'm I'm pretty outgoing these days, but back then I was really shy and I, I didn't want a ton of people looking at me, but I remember sneaking off to like the side of the wooden altar that we had and kind of just half kneeling and sort of you know, peeking with my, with kind of my, my eyes and seeing what everybody was doing. And if I had kind of a cover to be able to pray so that a lot of eyes wouldn't be on me. Um, and I remember doing that several times at the end of a service. And I can't remember what I said, really. I'm sure it was genuine. And I, I remember being very genuine and feeling like I just wanted to pour my heart out and just say, God, I love you so much. God, I'm thankful for my family probably things like that. And I remember one night in particular, several people from my church came up and were just praying with me, like kneeling near near where I was and just telling me, you know, Ethan, Jesus loves you very much. Um, Jesus wants to live inside you. Jesus, you know, wants you to be his friend and, and all this kind of, I mean, really, really sweet stuff. And so that was sort of where my my spiritual kind of, um, that's where my spiritual um, proximate place was for a long time. I just sort of went up to the front after service and sort of had this kind of special moment. And many times I would cry, which is kind of just what happens. (laughs) You know, you get really worked up and, and so you'll just end up crying there and you wipe your eyes and go home. And then it's ended up being kind of, where I was for a long time. That was sort of my baseline. That was like my my foundational place with God for many, many years. It wasn't until after my grandfather had stepped down and another minister had come and taken over uh, as pastor there at the church in Ball. And I'm not sure if I want to mention his name, although I, I probably should in some way. Um, I just, I don't want necessarily this to become a, a an opportunity for um, for me to pull somebody into a conversation that they're not ready for or a conversation that they maybe don't want to have. And also, I don't know if necessarily those details are very important. And I have a lot of love and respect for that person. And so I don't want necessarily anything I say to be um, directed in some way in their direction, in a way that may not be totally appreciated. Um, so with with that kind of said, after uh, this person took over as pastor, my grandfather had stepped down for mostly reasons related to his health, um, and there was just a lot of stress there. I was probably 10 years old. I was very, very young, but I, I have many memories of that service, actually, when he stepped down, although I don't want to get terribly, like, in the weeds about this. I was just young and I remember this happening and it being this really massive thing because he was the only person that I'd I'd ever really known in that role. And suddenly we have this person who didn't even go to our church and didn't really even run with the same types of people that, you know, I went to youth rallies and heard or would come and preach for us. And it was just different. And nevertheless, uh, this person takes over, and over the next few months and over the next few years, we, we see kind of a, a subtle decline in membership, but but not terribly much. But one of the main things that happened is 
he would often bring through people to preach for several long weeks and what we call, you know, revival services or these services that happened on a pretty consistent, usually on a like a weekday, like a Monday, a Tuesday, Wednesday type service. And these would just happen like over a consecutive basis for a number of weeks. And sometimes these weeks would turn into months and sometimes, you know, this would go on two or three months or four or five months whatever the case may have been. But it was in one of those revival services, I was 11 years old, and I remember this uh, evangelist came and was preaching, and this was just one of the nights in a series of revival services that we've been having. This was on a Tuesday night, though, I remember. And I remember he talked about Moses, and I'd want to say this like really quickly, and this seems like kind of minor, but, and it, it sort of is, but it sort of is, but also like, I think it's important to say anytime that I really felt like something special has been happening in my life, I always feel like God has been using the story of Moses in some way, like during the sermon or maybe an example or whatever it may be. Me and the and the character of Moses, we've always really connected in some weird way. And I've always really seen myself and felt something really special in that narrative. So anyways, that night he preached about Moses. And I remember feeling like, okay, this is the night. This is the time in which I I need to give it all. I need to reach this this pinnacle of receiving the Holy Spirit or receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues and having this cataclysmic encounter with God. And it happened. I remember I didn't even leave the pew where we were sitting. I just, at the end of service, just stood up and lifted my hands and my pastor came over to lay hands on me. You know, that's just what you do when someone is seeking the the gift. That's just, you just lay hands on them and do the prayer and it happens, right? He hadn't even laid hands on me yet. And I just start speaking in tongues. And I remember more, I remember the feeling more so than I actually remember that moment. I remember the lightness. I remember just a feeling of complete love and surrender, a feeling of just pure bliss. I mean, it felt like it was your birthday. It's just the greatest feeling you can imagine. If you've never experienced that, it was spectacular. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever felt and one of the most amazing things that have ever occurred in my life. And that was it. I mean, that was that was the peak. That was the peak of my spiritual experience. I had been baptized a number of years earlier by my grandfather, although my memories of that are really shaky, to be honest with you. I remember being in the water, but other than that, I don't really remember like anything leading up to it. I don't even remember anything after that, but I've been told and I have video you know, proof that it happened and everybody tells me that I was baptized, so I, obviously it happened. Um, I just don't remember much about it, but I remember that moment very well. So that was like my spiritual peak. I mean, I remember after that service, me and like my best friend were talking and he said, Ethan, you've done it. I mean, you've like officially checked all three boxes. You know, you've been baptized or you repented. You've been baptized in Jesus name. Now you've received the Holy Ghost. I mean, you're, you are good to go, man. This is it. And I remember just that feeling of like, 
all right, this is good, okay. Now what, right? Um, and really earnestly, too. I mean, you know, I wasn't being cynical, but just in the sense of what is what is next, God? What are you going to do in my life? You know, what special thing do you do you have just coming down the road? And wouldn't you know it, that's, that's when about a year to two years later, me and that same best friend who I've recorded an episode with, but that episode ended up like just not working and we just couldn't like actually get access to it. We literally could not get access to it once we recorded it. So it's out there in the, the universe somewhere, but it's just not here. Um, his name is Seth, and I know he wouldn't mind me referencing him because uh, we've talked about this quite a bit. But anyway, so about two years after that, so I'm 13 now. I mean, I officially become a teenager, and all the terrible, no good, bad things that happen with being a teenager. Uh, so I've now become a teenager, and I am two years strong in my relationship with God, and in this sense, like I have officially crossed the threshold from just being a uh, a seeker into being a believer. And so for me, I was well on well on my way. You know, I had begun my journey. So he comes to me and he asks if I wanted to be involved in what he was calling a, a YouTube ministry. And this would have been in June of 2012 or thereabout, maybe May, maybe, but certainly happened in late June because we recorded our first official episode or our first official sermon, that's what we called it, our first official sermon in July of that same year. And I I honestly can't tell you what that came out of. I think maybe it was just because he and I had always wanted to work in the church. And I mean, quick story here. So way, way earlier in my life, when I was way younger than seven or eight, my grandfather, when he was still pastor of our church, he made me and Seth deacons in the church that we attended. So we got special name tags, and our big job after every single service was to go around and pick up trash that had just been left there. And the same thing like in the parking lots, like just make sure that everything was clean and everything was taken care of, and we would get water for local preachers that would come through, and it was just, it was very sweet. But yes, I mean, I have many, I have many special memories of this little gold name tag that I had that had my name and had his name on it. And so just for years, I mean, that was just our role. We were the deacons in our church and ball. And so I think from that, he and I just always... Working in the church just always felt right. It always just felt like the the logical thing to do. That's just what you did. You did ministry, and neither of us, I don't think, were old enough to be in like um, <laughs> kind of offline ministry. And so I, I guess we decided that this would kind of do the trick in some way. So we decided, you know what? Hey, let's do it online and kind of do our own thing. And you know, most of those sermons looking back, are, are really just us doing our best impersonation of people that we were listening to at the time. And those sermons, as a result, don't always come off as like the most authentic thing. And so some of them just kind of feel not really like us, and they kind of feel like we're just being other people. And 
probably that's because that's exactly what we were doing. We weren't necessarily being very authentic. I mean, we didn't even use our real names primarily because our parents would not have been okay with that. And so they told us from the very get-go, Ethan, Seth, you absolutely under no circumstances can use your real names, you know, use fake names. And so we came up with like two names that from characters that we liked on Adventures in Odyssey, that radio drama by Focus on the Family. So we just picked two random characters from that show and just adopted kind of that as our personas, our online personas. And so that's kind of how we operated. And that YouTube ministry is, shockingly, that is the thing that I think for me really awakened my faith. Um, and I mean awakened in the sense of reinvigorated it in a way that it had never really been challenged before. And that's not to say that I you know, wasn't a Christian before that, but I don't know if I'd ever thought about my faith in quite the way that that YouTube ministry had challenged me to. One of the reasons for that is just because he and I were preparing sermons, we were making videos every single Sunday, and so as a result, we just had to study the Bible. We had to, week after week, put our noses in the text and read it, and come up with something to say to our viewers every Sunday. And so you can't just kind of ignore anything. You you have to actually engage with your faith on a weekly basis. And I don't know if I'd ever really done that. I think I'd done devotionals a time or two, but nothing like that, and definitely not that consistently. And so for like the first time in my life, here I am 13, and I'm actually starting to read the Bible on a consistent basis, and not just like read it in church, but actually read it from cover to cover. And that's what we started doing. And so he and I were talking one night and we had this segment on our show where we just chatted at each other about anything. And so one night we just talked about, wouldn't it be interesting if we read the entire Bible cover to cover in chronological order? So I just started engaging with the text and every single week, regardless of what kind of week we'd had, regardless of what else was going on in our lives, we just knew that we had to make a sermon at the end of the week. So we just kept going to the text. We kept reading, we kept analyzing, we kept talking about it. We kept picking things apart to try and see what it would look like. And I think it's out of that that I just knew that I needed to dig deeper because something just wasn't clicking in my mind at first. And so I just, something wasn't right. And so I wanted to understand it. And one of the ways that I felt like I could understand it is just digging even deeper into the text itself and just seeing where it led me. And so that's what was kind of motivating me as I began to read through the Bible chronologically, which I did. And over the course of a year and a half, I finally finished in May of 2014. And from that came perhaps one of the strangest and most undesirable outcomes in the world. I started deconstructing my faith. I'll talk more about why that was in the next episode. But thanks so much for listening to part one, and I'll see you in that next part. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Crossroads Conversations. If you enjoyed it, would you consider sharing this episode with your friends and family on social media? Also, if you're on Apple Podcasts, would you consider leaving a review and maybe sharing the episode that way? 
Thank you so much for listening again, and I will see you on the next episode. Grace and peace.